welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I am Naomi Schaefer-Riley. I'm a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And this is Ian Rowe, also a resident fellow at AEI. A newly resident fellow yes. for our listeners. We're glad that Ian is no longer just visiting us, that he is yes. there permanently. So that's exciting. I have a drawer. There you go. We're excited. <laughs> of course, no one is actually a resident anywhere these days, but we're all from home. So today we have a great guest with us, someone I've known for a long time, Darla Romfo. She's the president of the Children's Scholarship Fund. She's actually been with the fund since its beginnings more than 20 years ago. The fund helps low-income parents to be able to afford private schools for their kids to get them a great alternative to some pretty poorly performing schools in New York and other cities around the country. And Darla actually... The Children's Scholarship Fund recently did a survey of a number of their parents and also their schools, and uh, we wanted to bring her on today to talk about some of the results of that survey, how both parents and kids and also schools have been doing during the pandemic, the lockdown, and everything else that has been going on in recent months. So thanks for joining us, Darla. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So tell us to begin with just a little bit about the survey, kind of what you were hoping to find and the broad overview of what you've heard from parents and from schools. So first of all, we wanted to get in touch with our parents just to find out how this whole pandemic was affecting them. They're on the front lines, both of the economic impact of it and also the health impact of it. And we kind of knew that intuitively, but we found out very definitely that they were. About 80% of our families have lost income either by losing a job or having their hours reduced. About 20% of them have been directly impacted by the virus. So with all these things combined, and of course, like all kids in New York City and around the country, they have had to move to remote learning. And we wanted to find out how that experience was working for them as well. And so we, you know, the sad part of the story is that our families were so deeply impacted by the COVID-19 virus and also that they were deeply impacted by the economic aspects of it. But the good news is, is that our families are very satisfied with how their schools are doing. About 90% said that they were very happy with how the schools were performing. 80% said they were happy we're giving fours and fives in terms of how happy they were with what the kind of education that their kids were getting. And the schools also reported that the attendance rates were very high. 90% said that between 90 and 100% of the kids were, were checking in and, and attending school. So we didn't know if that was a good or, you know, was that what was happening everywhere? But apparently it's not what's happening everywhere. Those attendance rates are pretty remarkable just in terms of what's been going on certainly in the public schools in New York and elsewhere. I mean, I think Los Angeles reported that, you know, one in three students was not even checking in online. And to what do you attribute that level of commitment and excellence? Because the contrast with traditional public schools is very low. So what do you attribute that to in terms of the schools that are supported by CSF and their students? Well, the schools that our kids go to are very mission-driven. So it's a combination. There's a culture of the schools and the culture, the kinds of families that they probably attract as well. It's it's a whole connection and combination of a lot of wonderful things that happen in these schools, which as you guys know, I mean, they are educating, charging tuitions of like $5,500. And the cost to educate is higher than that, which is a problem but it's still around $9,000. 
And that's so much less than what they're paying in the public schools to go to school. And they're creating an environment where you just talk to the teachers and the principals. They are hands-on. They're One of the moms, this mom, Ruth, she said, you know, they're calling her kids and checking in. They're following up. They're wondering what's going on. They're setting up times to have individual chats with them. They're very connected. They're making a real effort going above and beyond. And I think that's something that only happens when you're really mission driven. Well, I think, you know, especially in this time when so many families have felt an extreme degree of isolation, I think, just in terms of their work and and having to stay away from other people, having to stay away from family and friends and neighbors and church, you know, that the school has been so interested in checking up on them has been very important. And your survey also just talked about the parents talked about how important the schools were to them. You asked them to rank, you know, their most important economic concerns right now. Right. So we knew our program, our partner program and the basic fund in California had gotten the result back that right after paying their rent, the next most important thing to pay was their tuition ahead of groceries. And we thought, well, that's an interesting question to ask. Where do you rank the importance of paying your tuition? We got the same result. A lot of people came back and said, well, that's not that's not surprising. We asked some parents and some and principals because this is so important to our family. It's an, it's part of what makes our whole family work. So it wasn't that surprising to some of the people that were experiencing it. It was kind of surprising to us because it seems like, wow, you would put paying your tuition ahead of buying groceries if that's what it came down to. It's extraordinary. First of all, congratulations, because the signal this sends to families that their schools are committed to their children. As someone who runs a network that I'd like to think our parents feel the same, I very much support the efforts. The backdrop of all of this, though, is that there is a deep concern that many of the schools that you're supporting or students that go to these schools may not be around. What's the larger context now for many of the schools that you're supporting now? Well, that was also one of the sad commentaries we got back. Almost like 70 or 80% of the schools that responded were saying they're worried about their financial viability in the future. And it is a real problem. It was a perfect storm of events. It was the COVID virus, the economic downturn, and this affected every revenue stream that comes into one of these private schools. Like I said, they're tuition driven. So it affects the parents' ability to pay tuition. Many of the Catholic schools are supported by philanthropy and the church and the church's collections were down 50%. Schools that have fundraisers, fundraisers were canceled. Philanthropy has, at least for us, has been pretty steady, and I'm very thankful for that. And we actually raised over a million dollars in extra money to help with the tuition for this year. But all those revenue streams are affected and continue to be affected. And these schools aren't getting any publicly funded support. So in terms of the future, that's one area where they're very different from public schools. Public schools aren't going to be facing whether they're going to close or not because they don't have the financial wherewithal to keep going. That's something these private schools are going to definitely face. So that is a very big and real concern. I'd encourage our listeners to go. Our colleagues at the Cato Institute have put together a list of private schools that have already announced that they will be closing permanently this year. And they've also been following a number of other schools very closely. You know, as Darla said, many people are were worried about the fate of these schools long before this happening. But, but yeah, this has created the perfect storm. So kind of thinking about like, you know, what's the big picture in terms of finding some support for these schools, because obviously if they close, that's just going to be more kids going into the public schools. And, you know, with tax dollars down, somebody is going to have to find a way to pay to educate these kids. The Catholic schools and the other private schools in your network are currently doing it at about half the cost of traditional public schools. 
so, you know, what are the things that you're hoping to, to see both in the public sector and the private sector in terms of support? Well, in the private sector, I hope that people continue to support it with their philanthropy. But in addition to that, these schools close through no fault of their own, just like the public schools close through no fault of their own. So there is talk that in the next stimulus bill that comes through Congress, that there could be some meaningful support for education. And there has already been support. I'm very grateful these schools were able to apply for payroll protection, many of the, like 70 or 80% of our schools got that. And that was good for this year. There are a couple of other funds too that are currently available. They're a little difficult for private schools in states that are run by people opposing school choice to be blunt about it. They don't really care about the what happens with the private schools. But I hope this is an opportunity to kind of rethink these old ways of thinking about school choice. And these are all kids. They were all affected by this shutdown. And so I hope that in the next bill that may or may not come, but I hope that if there is something in it for education, which I think there will be, I hope that it's equitable with respect to what it does for private schools. And there is talk about two potential streams of revenue that would help private schools. One would be a direct appropriation getting 10% of whatever is allocated for education in general and how that would be distributed. It might be through scholarship granting organizations. They might find whatever mechanism they can find to get it to the people that need it. And then the second part of that is a longer term solution, which would be potentially the tax credit scholarship program that was introduced last year. And that is such an effective way of getting tax dollars into, and it's really private money. It's individuals' tax dollars that they decide that they want to allocate towards a scholarship granting organization that helps poor kids. We actually run a program like that in New Hampshire. It's just a whole different level of being able to raise money and access dollars. And again, these are all the same kids. They're the same kids that are in Ian's charter schools or the same kids that are in Eva's schools that are in every, char- you know, KIPP schools. They're all the same populations. We're all trying to do the same thing here. Right. We're all should be all growing been, in the same. They've all been disproportionately affected by yep. Of course. You so, have- Darla, what's the argument against the tuition tax credit? Because I know in New York, you know, lots of efforts which I've supported to get that through. What's the argument against this, no, given that individuals are being empowered to choose where they want their tax dollars to go? It's the same old tired argument, whether it's that you can't, shouldn't have tax dollars going to religious schools but that doesn't, there's plenty of schools that aren't even religious that they would be against it going to. It's it's just the tired old arguments about, you know, we need more money in the public system. This is diverting funds from the public system. And I don't have anything anything against having a public school system. I just think that if it's not working for a child to keep them trapped in that school, and we know All you have to do is look at the facts that they're not getting the job done in many cases in many of the areas where our kids live, that that child, if they have to sit in that school for another three, four or five years and they can't make a change to someplace where they're going to learn to read and write, it's, it's over basically. I think really, you know, just shed light on that. One of the surveys that I found of the parents in New York they found that nearly two thirds of public school parents said they were very concerned about their child falling behind this spring. 71% were low income who were very concerned, and 72% of Black parents said they were very concerned that their children were falling far behind. And by contrast, you know, the the schools that are supported by Children's Scholarship Fund, you know, you had 
parents, you know, giving mostly the scores of, you know, four or five out of five in terms of how satisfied they were with the education. So at some point, you know, you have to look at the results and, and parents know whether their kids are learning or not. They do. And we had a comment section for parents to talk about anything else they wanted to say. I think I counted one negative out of like 19 pages of comments. There was one negative comment about a school, which is that's pretty remarkable, actually, that that's possible. And it was mostly like glowing. But I got to tell you, if you go to one of these schools, which I'm not going to be able to take anybody to a school anytime soon. But when you go to one of them, you understand like the way the education is different. It's there's just there's the culture of love, of concern, of looking at the whole child, of really attending to all the different things that are being very conscious of everything that's going on in a child's life. And I'm not saying that every teacher in every building and every school does all of that perfectly, but wow, it's a whole lot better than what the alternative is for these families. When they say that they're grateful, they mean it. I mean, they are so grateful for this. It's, it's life-changing for them. Like one kid told us, it's the ripple effect. I got into this school and then everything different started happening in my life. We all can identify some event in our life that put us in a different direction. And, but if you didn't have the basic thing about education down pat, a lot of that stuff never, ever happens. And Darla, just to give our listeners a sense, what's the profile of these children What's the criteria that they have to demonstrate to receive these scholarships? It's all completely needs-based. That's the only thing. But the family still has to contribute something. So our average scholarship is only a little over $2,000. So that means that if schools, you know, some get higher, our maximum is only $3,200. So that means the parent is paying some part of that tuition on a $5,500 tuition. They're paying something. That's an enormously important point that, you know, these are low-income families that are spending a significant portion of their income to ensure their kids are having an opportunity to go to fantastic schools that the results clearly show, you know, merit that investment. So if there's a listener listening now, how can they best contribute to this effort? Yeah, I assume you have listeners probably from all over the country. Wherever you are in your community, look at what's going on. Look at the people who are trying to help these kids. Look at the schools that are operating, the private schools that are operating. If you can help through a scholarship granting organization, if you can make your voice heard when it comes to the stimulus bill, even if you live in a state where you say, oh, I know my representatives would never be for this. Well, at least call them and say, I am for it. And maybe you can get them to you know, if they get enough calls, I used to work on Capitol Hill. I know that the volume of calls, if you get a whole lot of calls and people say they want this or they like this, then at least you might get somebody to back down. And it's time to for all of us to, you know, make our voices heard. And I told my staff, like the thing that we've been doing since 1998 is that we've been doing this, trying to have kids have an opportunity to have an education so that they have equal opportunity, the opportunity to develop their full human potential, which every kid should have. And right now it's an even more important conversation to have. All right, well, we're gonna have to leave things there. Thank you so much, Darla, for joining us. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can download episodes on the AEI website or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Darla. Thank you. 